to welcome you out to the LED Project, podcast number 37. I am Wilkie Law, joined here in person, live and in living color with Kyle Krieger. Hey, 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 hey. And Ben, the Colonel Scoggin. That, that was an exaggeration, but what's going on? <laughs> uh, we're here together. Um, had an opportunity this week to hang out with Kyle a little bit. Um, probably not as much as we could have or should have, but anytime is a good time when you're hanging out with good friends. So yeah, um, You know, you had the honey-do list. Oh, man. Uh, neither Ben nor I have the honey-do list, so we uh, had a little more free time, and I... Especially have more free time. Yeah, Ben's over. Ben, ben was over studying. So I mean, yeah, so, man, doing work. Always getting after it. That's, that's 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 admirable. Did you say something about an admiral? <laughs> you got to stay with the same branch of service. You know what I'm saying? If you're gonna make up a rank to give me, you got to stay with the same branch of service. Ah, uh, okay. So that's kind of how our night's been going. So. We're going to get started. We're going to kick off this podcast uh, again with our We Connect, as we always do. Uh, good friends, Will Wise and Chad Littlefield over at www.weand.me. Uh, we Connect cards, and Kyle has one a day, and I'm going to let him lead off this one. All right, so the question is, what is a time you learn something from failure? I'll, I'll start out. Okay. Um, I want to talk about how I'm learning from failure right now because I mentioned on the prior podcast that uh, I found out that I'm not going to be renewed uh, in my teaching position and to some extent that definitely is a failure or a hardship but uh, I'm learning right now especially this week to just have patience and kind of let some time um, pass before I try to make any real big decisions because in the past I have been known to make what are oftentimes hasty decisions and that's probably something I've learned in the past year from failure is that um, even though things seem really good I need to be much more um, diligent and thoughtful and allow time to go by before I make big decisions so that's what I'm gonna say starting out about what I've learned from failure Will? Um, What is the time you learn something from a failure? well, honestly, you know, I'll go back to the time when I was in sixth grade. I, I always go back to that because that was probably the lowest point in my life. Parents divorced, um, stopped going to school, stopped caring. And I think that failure taught me how to be resolute. Um, my mom forced me to go back to the same school, face the exact same teachers again. Um, and that, that failure really kind of was the catalyst to me becoming the person that I am right now. So... That is a time that I've learned from the most significant time of my failure. Do I need to read it? No, read no, no, it no, 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 no. I, was I, feel like it help, I feel like it helps us stay on the same page. Okay. Helps my brain stay on the same page. So what is a time you learn something from a failure? Well, I failed many times, so it's hard to pick one big thing. But the biggest thing is that for myself, uh, how persistent I can be and what that persistence can lead to. Uh, <clears throat> failure isn't the end, or at least it hasn't been for me. I'm still alive and standing and pushing forward and uh, most successful, really any, actually looking at it, any successful person that I've met has failed at some point in their life. Uh, you don't really know what you're made of 
until you fail and have to pick yourself back up and keep going. You learn from your failures, you grow, you get stronger. You break a bone, it heals, it's stronger. Bingo, bango, Dr. Durango. You know, and I think you said something very powerful is that you said you started out by saying you can't pick one because you failed a lot. And I think that's something that our, our culture frowns on failure, mm-hmm. not realizing that the greatest learning experiences that you're going to have are going to come from your failures. Um, that's when you, like you said, you really learn about who you are. I, my One of my favorite quotes that I've, I don't, can't even remember where I heard it from is that you never know how bad you want something until you go get it. And when you're on that trek and you fail, how bad do you want it that you get back up on it and start again? Um, so, um, yeah, good insight. Appreciate well, and that. that's, you know, Ben and I had a conversation earlier this week about my next moves and job, you know, job progress or process that I go through. And he's like, you know, when your back's against the wall, that's when you figure out what you're willing to do to get to where you want to be. You know, and for me, that's really building LED into a point where financially it can sustain us to do what we want to do, but also we're providing in that situation. We, In order to get paid that way, we need to be providing that much value to teachers. So it puts me in a spot where I really have to think, like, you know, what are the valuable things that we can continue to do that I can give myself the best chance to do that? Um, and I really, you know, to your point, you never really know what you're capable of until you kind of are backed into that corner. Mm-hmm. Yeah, you're absolutely right. That is the key. All right. Um, so we're going to move on today. and We're going to touch on a controversial topic um, since we have been here with us. Um, and I know this has been a big topic um, going across this country now. Uh, we're going to talk about arming teachers, teachers being able to carry being armed and having to carry their weapons at school or being allowed to carry weapons at school. And um, I'll, I'll just put that to the floor. Let's just kind of see where, where it goes with that. So what are your thoughts on that, Kyle? Um, personally, and I know we talked about it a little bit earlier, I would not feel comfortable working in a school where teachers were armed. I don't think that is necessarily not even necessarily, I don't think that that's the right answer. I think there are a lot better answers. And also, too, you know, it's a lot different feel being in Wisconsin than being in Texas. Wisconsin has a gun culture, but I don't think it's quite to the point where, you know, Texas is in terms of the number of people, just the prominence of how many people display that sign on their front door that says, you know, that they are possessing weapons and, you know, they shoot first or, or whatever it might be. But on a personal level, I don't think I would feel comfortable having guns in the school with teachers because I don't know those people enough, a lot of them, to trust that in the situation when it came down that they wouldn't know what to do or be capable of doing it. And also, you know, that they wouldn't use it irresponsibly. Yeah, we kind of talked about that, you know, that, you know, you have a kid. You know, what if you have a kid that overpowers a teacher who's walking around with a strap? I mean, mm-hmm. if it's just random like that. I mean, so I, um, I'll i say this. I'm, I'm mixed. I, I believe that if you're going to do a program like that, then it needs to be a program that's done thoroughly and well thought out. 
where teachers actually volunteer for the program and they actually go through almost military-like style training to understand how to, how to clear a building, how to safely escort students in a time of a crisis, you know, how to sh make those split-second decisions. Um, but then it goes back to the point that if you're going to do all of that and put that much energy into it, that's going to cost money. Mm -hmm. And if you're already putting that much money into it, couldn't you just already go ahead and just beef up your security yeah. and pay for actually to have you know police officers on staff? Because that's if you say you want the that military esque route, like you said, that's something you regularly have to do. Then you know there has to be monthly, bi monthly, regular training mm -hmm. um, because it, it is a perishable skill um, to be able to use basic firearms. Here's how you. You know, weapon safety rules, weapons handling rules, mm -hmm. um, actually being able to function comfortably and just firing on a static target, things like that. Um, it's something that has to be regularly trained, so now you're adding that in. And so that's going to consume time because they're not going to do that for free. Right. You know, you're paying that for them, and then you have to hire all the extra assets, logistical support to add in there. Um, so you can outsource it and save yourself some hurt there but the other thing too is that if you start forcing if they were to force this upon teachers right if this actually was a thing which I don't know I think is a stretch um, you know every job you get every every opportunity you have working for any kind of organization there are responsibilities that are given to you mm -hmm. um, the more that is expected from you the greater detail it is delivered so you know without a doubt these are your responsibilities and when you have your performance evaluations mm -hmm. they, you can be held to and so on and so forth right but now this has to be added in there so I mean just me thinking from a managerial perspective like if you started adding this in as a responsibility of being trained and versed in you know weapons and tactics and things like that now you have to redo everyone's every teacher's job responsibilities mm -hmm. And then they have to accept it because there's a sign-off there on that contract. So uh, could they bypass all that? Y'all would know better than me. But it seems like for the health of the organization, you would want to start that anew so that you can say, hey, this is now an additional part of your job. You know, you choose to accept it or not. Because of how controversial y'all are saying this is, it, I mean, I can honestly say that it looks like a lot of people would leave the profession just because they're adamantly opposed to it. Right, and you know, when you think about most teachers in most districts are, when you compare it to the norm or the median incomes, they're grossly underpaid. Mm -hmm. um, we know from first-hand experience, we've talked with a lot of teachers, and a lot of teachers are disgruntled. And, and, and angry for whatever reason. Um, and now we're talking about arming that populace. Uh, again, like I say, I would be one that would be willing to volunteer myself uh, to go through training to do that. I would undergo a psych evaluation. I would undergo the training, the physical regimen of what it takes to be able to do it. I would volunteer to do that. Would I feel comfortable knowing that any random teacher who, who's on our campus could be walking around with a, with, with a pistol on them? Absolutely not. Absolutely not. I think that's taking it way too far and it's asking teachers to do more than what they're already giving up for. I mean, cause, I mean, it's a selfless job. I mean, what we do on a daily basis 
most people won't even attempt to do once in their lifetime to completely pour out of themselves into a group of individuals repeatedly day in and day out uh, to make them better people. But now you want us to protect them as well and, you know, put our lives on the line for them. So, like I said, I think it was a knee-jerk reaction. Mm-hmm. You know, I, I, I hate being so reaction-based and not being proactive. Yeah. You know, what, what, where, where were the conversations on, on the fifth shooting mm-hmm. this year? Where was the conversation after the tenth school shooting this year? But we waited until the twentieth one to say, "Oh, we need to start having this conversation." Well, we should have had this conversation from the very beginning, mm-hmm. and and people just need to stop using it as a as a political soapbox to push an agenda. You know, I I, I believe in my Second Amendment right. I want to bear my arms. I'm going to carry my gun with me. Does that mean that I'm going to run around here and I'm brandishing my weapon to let people know I'm? No, absolutely not. Most of the time, I would rather people not know yeah. that I'm carrying my weapon, you know. But um, I just think it's, like I say, one of those knee-jerk reactions. Our, our our president, I really believe, misspoke, and and I, mean, I think I saw somewhere on the news the other day that a, that a teacher accidentally gun accidentally Twice went off in the classroom. Yesterday. Yeah, gun accidentally went off ones. in the classroom. So I mean, we already see that that it's problematic. Yeah. But here's here's a question I have too though like deep racially how does that arming teachers fit into our racial culture like because I wonder if there's not going to be a racial bias with which teachers or which schools guns get put into you're, that's a very touchy subject, and I'm glad, but I'm glad you brought it up. You know, because like I, said, I mean, there is racial bias in terms of the you know criminal activity in our country. There's a substantially higher pop or higher number of Hispanic and African American people that are arrested for crimes. So you but, go inner city, you go downtown, you go into the yeah. water wards. Here. Yeah, but those You're are never maybe, the spots. Maybe, are they gonna? Is there gonna be a bias towards them? Yeah, are are, are that where we're gonna, or or are more firearms gonna go to those places because they're stereotypically more dangerous when these incidents keep being perpetrated by white males in predominantly white communities. White communities, like in the racially charged environment that we have right now, I don't think that that is something that can be overlooked. Yeah, I agree. Um, you know, I was talking with my father-in-law. I, I grew up in Cashmere Gardens. Um, my neighborhood was pretty rough. I mean, it was... I'm not saying that it was impossible to grow up there, but I mean there was crime. There was high crime. There was you know high dropout rate. There was you know high teen pregnancy. Um, there was violence. I mean, we. I mean, I I honestly believe that when we were in school in the '90s, there was a lot more violence on our campuses amongst the students, you know. But it was again, it was it was all fist fights. You know, you may have someone who bring a stick or bring a knife. We're not bringing guns. We, we, we were fighting. You know, you that's how we grew up. Um, but I still feel that it was 
a much more volatile environment that I grew up in versus what I teach in. So it's almost like you're bringing a sledgehammer to, to hang a picture on the wall. You know what I mean? It's like, that's not, that's not going to remedy it no matter what. And regardless of you in the black community, if you're in the Hispanic community, white community, the black community is probably looking like saying, this is not our problem. They're not shooting up our schools. I mean, it's not happening in our neighborhood, in our communities. So, but when you're thinking about the fact that when I know that there is a high crime area, would I be more tempted to, to do it? Probably so. But then, are you doing it based off of your student population, or are you doing it based off of a, an, an assumed threat to the campus? And I think that's where making those type of knee-jerk decisions kind of gets away from us, and we don't, we, we, it hasn't been very well thought out. So, and and I, I'd like to come back to Ben's earlier point about what this would do to the teaching force. What what are the long term? damages that could be done if you have you know say three three and a half million teachers if you lose 10 percent if one in ten over this issue leave the profession that's 350,000 teachers you can't replace there's no way to replace those teachers in one year and there's no way to replace the value that they have, especially if they're veteran teachers. Mm -hmm. I think it goes back to a conversation we had the other day. This is opinion, this is not fact, of course, right? But um, we talked about, you know, we keep wanting to make new laws, new laws and new laws to fix issues with society currently, right? But uh, it's culture that's changing and every time we try to put a law on something, people will still break laws could not stop someone with a law and a, like you're a law-abiding citizen you're the average Joe living in suburbia sure you're gonna obey the laws yes but that is not every single person the person that has the, the intent to shoot up a school they're not legally buying that firearm they do not care about a CHL mm -hmm. they do not care about you know whatever forms sorry my dog is kicking me whatever forms or paperwork is needed to purchase an assault rifle any kind of automatic weapon if that was the case which I do not believe it was in this particular case in that state they don't care about any of that right so laws are not they're not gonna fit it's a, it's a cultural thing that's my opinion honestly we talked about you know empowering populations to not like take up arms against kids, no, right? But what can we do at, at the at the cultural level to change this, right? Um, yeah, there, there are proactive measures that could have been taken with this particular individual, but I think the, the thing that we're focusing on right now is the greater, right? Mm -hmm. If you, you make a law to force, to, whether it's forced for teachers to have firearms or now they have the opportunity to receive these training maybe some kind of stipend to purchase a firearm. Either way, it is not gonna stop the problem. Because if that kid was to come in and now there's a shootout, people are still getting shot. Well, and, and, and I worry too, how many of those situations end up with the shooter dead? And now the shooter goes in knowing that there are more guns in there than there were before. And the, the, the potential to 
get that desired outcome at the end, which is to have somebody kill them, mm-hmm. is even greater. I mean, are, are people who are looking for a fight in that regard going to target schools where they know teachers have weapons? Depends on if they're looking for a fight or if they're looking to slaughter Mm-hmm. Oh yeah, and like you different mindsets and different mentalities there. Yeah, someone like, like that that's twenty one or twenty two and had a rough time in high school, who wasn't looking for a fight. He was looking to slaughter. I know that's a dark right. word to use there, but that's what it boils down to. And I you know, and not not to get over onto the political side, but I saw a couple of really good posts on social media and one post said something to the effect of you're telling me I can't have a microwave, a coffee maker, or LED string lights. Or a space heater. Or a space heater. But I can have a pistol in my room. And then there was another one today that was poking fun at some senator who, after a dog was killed on a flight because they were put in the overhead bin, wanted to pass a law... To prevent that from happening again. There we go. Let's just make a law for everything so all your bases are covered. Because that's going to fix it. Right? And so I'm being very sarcastic right now for the audience. And and that was something that I looked at as... I mean, so many people were just tearing this guy apart at the fact that we won't introduce legislation on gun safety or school safety, but... You'll introduce legislation to keep prevent something that's a one in a million. That's in reference to a pet, not a person. But I think it just goes back to speak to how we would rather address. We won't address the real issue, the underlying cause. We'll address the effects that we see from situations. But we won't address the, address those root causes, and without addressing those root causes, we just won't be able to 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 nip it in the bud. I mean, you know, doing my yard, and when I'm looking at weeds and I'm pulling them up, I can't just cut the tops of the weeds off. I can't just cut the flowers off because they're still going to grow. I have to pull them from the root, and when I pull them from the root, I have to make sure I get all of the root out of there in order to make sure that it doesn't come back because if I don't, then it's guaranteed that it's going to just keep coming back and keep coming back. So it's just one of those questions of do we really want to address the problem or do we want to keep addressing the effects of the problems? And you, go ahead. I mean, and, and we've had this conversation a bunch of times about the role of male teachers and you know how our culture defines masculinity. And I think that's a big part of it, you know, as to why, you know, why do six times more young men than young women, why do six times more young men than young women take their own lives? You know, and and this stuff and, you know, how we define our cultural and gender roles especially is, you know, a part of the conversation that we're supposed to have. But in terms of the would I be in favor of teachers carrying? Like, we've all we've all been around at, as students and the two of us as teachers 
teachers who are combative. That is enough. And, and you, you can bet that those combative teachers who are power hungry are potentially going to be the first ones to sign up to do that. And I would worry that those teachers would brandish that weapon as a show of force. As another way to prove that they are superior to the students. You know, and, and I want to bring up a point that, Ben, you and I talked about this the other day. Um, if, say, you're a teacher who, who goes through training and is carrying, are you still subject to the same legal... Um, I don't know what words you use, oh, yeah. Ben, but... No, that, that was a point that you made. Um, you and I were talking about, what are the legal ramifications of a teacher using their weapons? Like, are they subject to the normal laws of people, or are they now classified the same way a police officer, like a police officer. or or um, a, a uh, soldier yeah, yeah. would be? Sorry, I remember that. Yes, um, yeah, because if the average individual, uh, if they're defending their property, you know, someone's coming on their house and they're on their property to rob them, you know, instead of taxes, you're on my property. I can put a round in you, put you down. Hey, okay, right. For th- there's more detail than that, mm-hmm. but um, for brevity, you're good to go. Now, is that the same in a classroom set? That has to be hashed out. So there's so many different other elements that you have to think of. How do, how do you define... We were talking, how do you define what a real threat is? Mm-hmm. How do you define when you as a teacher or your students are in grave danger? To what where you're today? you're justified, you know, and and also too, like, are we gonna give these teachers handcuffs? Are they gonna be able to just handcuff kids that are they find dangerous or, you know, what are, what are the rules of, you know, a kid in your classroom? Like, cause this is supposed to be meant for mm-hmm. outside shooters, who come in that the teachers mm-hmm. could defend the school. Right. But when do those people carrying weapons then become the immediate judge and jury for what's going on within the school? Mm-hmm. But you know, that's why I said I think it, it's a far-fetched thing. It's a stretch to say that we would do it. Uh, but if it's going to be done, it's going to be costly. And with so many budget cutbacks right now facing even our districts here, you know, between Aldine, between Houston ISD, um, where there's so many budget shortfalls, how would a district be able to justify? Again, I am I understand protecting the human capital, but if you're going to protect the human capital and you're going to use teachers, then there's going to have to be some type of hazard pay. There's going to have to be some type of specialized training put in place that's ongoing and regular. And after you count the cost for doing that at every single school within a district, isn't it more advantageous then to just say, you know what? Let's just hire new. Let's hire new police officers. Let's expand our police force. Let's have a tactical team within our police department that can be deployed within you know a minute's notice. That understands how to do it. That actually runs drills with live students to say, okay, we're going to show you how you're supposed to respond if this happens. Um, I think that funding would be better served that way than arming teachers. However, if it did pass, I would volunteer. Because I feel that I am sound mind, I feel that I'd make good decisions, and I feel that I would be willing to step myself out there. I mean, I wanted to be in the military anyway, 
wanted to be a Marine. So that's right up my alley, you know. So, but again, even me just saying that, I'm fulfilling some type of pipe dream by saying, oh, give me my gun and I can act like I'm a Marine at school. So you see what I'm saying? So it skits, it's one of those, such a fine one line. of those real fine lines. And then now it's my weapon. It's not the school's weapon, mm-hmm. you know. So now, you know, it's, just, it's I think it's just, it's too much of a gray area. Well, and just the logistics of it are mind boggling. Like, how do you disperse? So I did some quick math. If you went with 1% of the teaching force, that's 35,000 teachers. So is that 1% of a school district's force or teaching force? I mean, what do you do in places like Montana or Wyoming where you might have 20 to 30 miles between schools? Or in places like, I mean, what is Cy Fair in Houston? What do they have? Seven high schools, eight, nine high schools? Like... How do you, how do you how logistically how do you do it and make it equitable? I'm gonna use your word, not equal. Make it equitable. And how do we justify that it is going to? How do we know that that is going to make a difference? We don't know. We don't know. It's simple. We don't know. And like I said again, that knee jerk reaction. Um, it's just like I said, I, I'm I'm hopeful that that they'll that'll just you know roll over, and just won't even come to come to fruition. But um, again, the topic that I knew we wanted to talk about. Well, I want to talk about this other topic. Since we're talking about teachers right now. Yeah, we are. Did y'all see this this teacher who who absolutely um, I mean, who posts a picture of her paycheck stuff. On, on the internet, on Facebook, and showed how she only makes $34,000 a year and said that she takes home bi-weekly, um, I mean, bi-month, bi-weekly, $600, $630 a month. I mean, th- every, every two weeks. And she's like, I need a degree to make $34,000 a year. So what do y'all think about that? Do you think, one of the questions they asked in the, uh, this morning, do you think teachers deserve to have a pay increase across the board? I think 100 I think when you add up the value that teachers bring to our society, I think 100% they need a pay increase, but my my concern with a pay increase is does that bring other people into the profession that aren't deep down a true educator? Because we've had this conversation a lot about, you know, being a true, genuine educator. I think genuine educators who come into the profession, who love it, absolutely deserve to be paid more money. But I worry if you add more money that you're going to bring in people you don't want in the classroom. Because our teaching force right now is weak. And... Although I think we deserve to get paid more, and it def, I think if you paid teachers more, you could definitely keep a lot more in the profession. But look at look at what happened in West Virginia. The schools were out nine days in West Virginia, because they were getting paid so little. And you know, talking about teacher pay increases, how do you do that equally across the board across the country when? 
each state determines their educational system. You're absolutely right. You know, and I think in that conversation with teacher pay increases, you have to put in uh, police officer salaries. Um, our police officers don't get paid hardly anything. I mean, they're right there in the same boat with us. I remember when I wanted to be a police officer, I'm looking at the salary like, no, this is not, that's not, not going to work. That's not worth me, you know, risking my life for people who, yeah. Um, and, you know, our firefighters. You know, so, I mean, I think it's, 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 you know, one guy commented on Twitter and said, oh, you knew the profession, you knew the pay of the profession before you got in. You know, if you don't like it, change. But I think for those teachers, like myself, like you, who are teachers, it's hard to say, oh, okay, I just won't teach anymore. And, and then have that, because you don't, I mean, the fulfillment of being a teacher is worth so much but I think it really becomes and we've talked about this before too elevating the value of the teacher making it really a professional career you know making it giving it the same status that a lawyer or a doctor has and really elevating it that way and then I think that's how you start to bring more money into it but I mean, then, you know, it, it brings us right back around to our earlier conversation. When teacher pay is so low, how are you going to justify spending millions upon millions of dollars to try to arm teachers? Mm-hmm. I have a hard time with that notion. And care to add to this statement? Okay, good. Brevity. It's good. So, um, I guess we'll go ahead and just wrap this one up. Yeah. Um, put this one in a bag. Um, any last thoughts, Kyle, as you get ready to get back on the road, head back up to Wisconsin? Yeah, heading back up to Wisconsin. Um, I think just, I hope the conversation continues about how to make our schools safer. And I hope that it not only makes our schools safer, but brings more teachers into the profession. Because we can't afford to lose more teachers and we can't afford to lose them in masses. So I'm hoping that with the protests and with the things that are going on that eventually either enough people will rise up and demand it that it happens or our governmental leaders will start to step up and do things. Because yes, laws aren't going to completely change it, Mm -hmm. but the people in our highest offices need to start making it a priority is the point I would make. And on that note, we're going to be out. Um, thank you guys for hosting this podcast here um, over with Ben and Kyle. And um, appreciate it. Um, good hospitality, even though I wasn't offered it. I did. I was offered coffee. But yeah, I you thought, were. But I thought it was a side eye because you knew I was going to try to fall asleep. But oh, it's no, okay. He, did. He, he fell asleep about 10 times during the podcast. He's very good about snapping <laughs> right back into it. Just a real quick, got the quick nuts. No power so, no power um, on that note, I want to just I want to say an encouraging word as we're getting ready to go into this testing season to all teachers out there, um, especially our Texas teachers who are getting ready to take the STAR test, third grade, um, third through through uh, eighth grade. 
to take this time to really build on and leverage your relationship with your students. Um, spend time with them, talk with them. Maybe take a day where you break away from the content and you engage them in something meaningful, something memorable, something that's going to be lasting, that's gonna last a lot longer than content. Uh, just remember that teaching is not always about content. If we only taught book knowledge, we'd have a bunch of book smart kids with no good common sense. And we know that our students are looking to us and looking for us for those things. So um, get out, enjoy your kids, enjoy the rest of this year. We, we're in the fourth quarter right now in most districts, uh, getting ready to go into the home stretch. So um, just bid everybody Godspeed on their endeavors for the rest of this year and hope their goals get accomplished. And that's it for us, the LED Podcast. If you want to link up with us, you can hit us up on IG. I'll let Kyle run through all that. Yeah, uh, Instagram, you can find us at Value Adds Value. On Facebook, we are Lighthouse Educator Development. If you want to shoot us an email, ask us questions, try to get something on the podcast, it's podcast at theledproject.com. And if you listen to this on iTunes, we would love for you to subscribe and Leave a review. Let us know how we are doing. That would be huge for us. That would be. Winner, winner. Chicken dinner. Bingo, bingo. Boom. Go. Closing it out hot. <laughs>